0: Financial institutions are struggling to move fast enough to compete with new players. Their legacy tech and processes are holding them back. But there is an answer. Our new report, titled Rebuilding Financial Services from the Inside, is a comprehensive guide to what tech teams in financial institutions are thinking and what they want the rest of the business to understand to help them move forward. Head to bit.ly forward slash 11FS rebuild to download it now.
1: Hello and welcome to Under the Hood, a brand new podcast from 11FS and Synapse. We're lifting the lid on banking infrastructure and taking you deep into the technology that's disrupting traditional models, shaking up the system, and improving the financial lives of customers around the world. Welcome to episode nine of Under the Hood. I'm Simon Taylor, co-founder of 11FS, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sanket, who's the CEO at Synapse. How are you doing today, Sanket? I'm good, Simon. How are you doing? Really well, thank you. Yeah, I'm coming to you from a deep echoey chamber, but I'm excited to talk about fintech. Uh, we just moved house and there's a lot happening in fintech. Uh, do you want to tell everybody what's happening over at Synapse and what you guys do?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, again, for viewers that don't don't know us, uh, we're a US-based banking and lending uh, as a service provider. Um, what that really means is if if you're a developer who wants to launch deposit and lending products, we're by far the fastest and the most comprehensive way to get to market. I love that. Um,
1: You've got that elevator pitch so sharp. you caught me off track there for a second. But uh, in our last show, of course, we looked at why big banks can't innovate, what they struggle with, and why everything just seems so slow and costly. This week, we want to look at the other side of that and look at how uh, partnerships can help, why are they strategically important, and what can they do to help move things forward. We also want to get Under the Hood. We want to look at the technology used to partner and we want to dive deeper into that. So we are joined by some fantastic guests to do exactly that. First up is Roisin Levine, who is head of banks over at Flux. Welcome to Under the Hood. Can you tell the listeners about Flux and what you do there?
0: Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, Flux is an API for receipt data. So we take transaction data from banks and SKU-level data from merchants. We match that together to generate fully itemized receipts that we deliver into banking apps within seconds. Um, So we're an infrastructure player, similar, I guess, to the likes of things like Plaid. uh, And we work with several banks in the UK. So big names like Barclays, Mondo, Starling and a few more to be announced soon. Uh, And my role is really leading those bank relationships, um, ultimately making contactless digital receipts as popular, hopefully, and as everyday as contactless payments now are.
1: Fantastic. Uh, and Harishi Dixit, who's the CTO over at Yield Street, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about you and Yield Street, please?
3: Absolutely. And uh, thanks for having me, Simon and Sakid. So um, I'm uh, the CTO at Yield Street, as you just mentioned. What we are is a an alternative investments platform based in the United States. What that means is we give, uh, it's a consumer platform that gives uh, a range of retail investors access to investment opportunities that historically have been. Unavailable to them in in the financial services space, uh, typically uncorrelated investment offerings, uh, uncorrelated to the public markets, things like real estate and a variety of other assets. So that's kind of like the 10,000 foot level uh, view of what we do. Democratizing access. We're all for that on this
1: show. Sankir, um, do you want to start us off um, as a banking solutions provider? Your in your experience, how do banks? partner with third-party providers at different levels in the stack you know what do you what do you see as you look up and down that stack
2: yeah i think it's good to break it down into separate buckets first right so you have banks that are partnering with uh non-fis um Uh, to be able to provide some consumer or business banking product and service themselves, which uh, (laughs) we probably don't pay attention to as much because we're so focused on the fintech side. So over there, the banks by and large partnering with various providers just to build a better product, right? So it goes down from uh, getting a core banking system all the way to a compliance management system, all the way up to a notification system, uh, uh, better, better insights on spending for their customers, what have you, right? So that's just building out a, a commercial bank uh, that we're kind of used to seeing with Chase and Bank of America. Then the other side, which potentially we'll focus on more, is a uh, um, a wholesale bank, a bank that is essentially enabling fintech companies to be able to go to market. Um, in their case, there are a bunch of aspects of the stack that a bank wants to ensure that at least they have a shortlist for even if they haven't partnered with directly. So those things start with making sure there is a payment processor that can facilitate payments between the bank, the fintech company, and the consumers. Um, then you have a core banking system that essentially is able to store all this data, uh, uh, keep everybody honest, uh, make sure that the customer directory sits there, their KYC information sits there. Then you have all the providers that are enabling you to do KYC AML transaction monitoring. So banks partner on that spectrum. Um, Then you have uh, uh, various um, uh, audit automation functionalities as well to make sure your Reg E, Reg Z functionalities are being kind of like kept in check and so on and so forth. And then you also have your card issuers and processors and printers and all, all what have you. So... All of these different areas are essentially a long way of saying it takes a lot to be able to launch a financial product, and there are various aspects of this. And banks are, by and large, either partnering directly with a lot of providers that are really good at what they do in these individual buckets, or offloading that to a -a banking-as-a-service provider like Synapse, Or giving fintechs who are partnering with them directly a short list of all these different providers and saying, if you want to be able to launch a compliant banking product on top of us, at the very minimum, you have to partner with these kinds of providers before you can take the product live. And I haven't even talked about improving the customer's experience yet, right? So that's a layer that sits on top of it, which is just customer delight. So yeah there's there's
1: i like that almost like checklist of
2: here's the things
1: you need to do to get a banking product to market and whether it's the bank themselves looking at getting their own products to market with their brand on it or helping a fintech or helping somebody else get a product to market they have a number of choices about who they work with inside their walls but also who they partner with outside their walls to to kind of do that just before we move on as well like why would a bank want to partner with somebody outside their walls to to help enable a fintech and somebody else? What are some of the benefits of doing that?
2: Well, so I think to to put it plainly, um, and and this is no disrespect to folks who work at the bank, uh, uh, but banks are traditionally not software shops. They're not they're not building technology themselves. So it's it's a good synergistic partnership to be able to find. Uh, uh, a non-FS who's super good at building either a portion of it or the entirety of this and really, really work with them. which you traditionally find, and like there are some companies that are that are that are bucking the trend here. When it comes to their own services, they're they're going with more legacy vendors, but when it comes to fintech, they're going with more modern vendors. And the whole reason for that is in fintech things are more bespoke and kind of like they need to be a little bit more rapid and agile versus the traditional banking products are not built that way yet so
1: interesting um roisin i'm gonna come to you as well you've had some experience working with bigger banks and smaller banks you've recently announced the partnership with barclays who are pretty big you know, what are the what are the challenges and what are the benefits of partnering versus being a partner so there's like a two by two there
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so for Flux, really, our our mission is ultimately to unlock receipt data. And so as a company, we could have set about and said, we're going to have a standalone app and we're going to acquire customers directly. But working with large banks and having the receipts actually generated in the banking app ultimately gives us that scale. So the same reason many fintechs or startups look to work with big corporates. So for us, really, it's about those millions of customers that can suddenly activate, you know, digital receipts, and it means that suddenly Flux has that scale that we can we can kind of move forward with, with the partnership. Um, what's interesting is obviously we do work with with neobank players, and we work with some of the really big incumbents, uh, and there's there's big variations there in in how they do things. Uh, but ultimately, the objective is the same. Um, you know, for the big incumbents, you know, there are certain things you cannot shortcut, um, and that means with all the best will in the world, uh, you know, the number one uh, priority, uh, huge urgency. There are just certain processes that unfortunately will move slightly slower than than a neo bank can. Um, you know, I work with some challenger banks; they might talk about putting it into their sprint in a few months' time. Uh, for larger banks, that planning cycle is, is years in advance, uh, and it really is something to kind of move into that product roadmap. Uh, and so that, that's kind of the main key challenge is really that that time difference between kind of getting live. Um, and then beyond that, you've got kind of I guess the big technology differences. Uh, so the complexity of sometimes working with a larger bank, uh, the various teams that are needed, just the sheer the sheer number of people that can be involved uh, for a process to get live. Um, And those are things that I think a lot of startups really find challenging when they're first setting out partnerships with banks.
1: I I think that was a wonderfully succinct summary of some of the challenges. Um, Talk to me about the procurement word as well, because um, unless you've worked with a bank before or in a big company, procurement is is a whole alien concept.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I think that it's something that maybe as a startup, you you concentrate so much on the pitch at times with the product and the sales and the big vision. And actually what what we've learned very much as a company is that you you pitch all those things often to the business or the decision makers, the key stakeholders maybe at the bank who may own the mobile app or maybe owning some, some other kind of area. But you do need to think about the different teams within a bank that might you know that your deck falls onto their lap and actually does it does it actually really speak to them so for example procurement are looking for something completely different you know compliance teams the dpo they're looking at your business in other ways and and the legal teams as well and i think what we've tried to do is maybe kind of uh, streamline those processes as best we can once you've gone through the process a couple of times you start to know the kind of questions and things like that and there, there are ways that you can you can help um, you're not going to necessarily fast track that process but but you can definitely come with the information that's needed um, it's less about kind of selling the big vision then and actually just helping them with the materials that they ultimately will need to gather the information that they need to work through the processes on their end um, it's just setting up in the right way
1: Yeah, definitely challenging. But if you can run that gauntlet, there are huge benefits to being able to figure it out. Rishi, I want to come to you. You've got partners on the compliance side, on the investment side. You've got a partnership with Synapse. Can you talk us through those different partnerships and what they do for you and how you went about
3: them? Yeah, sure. So, uh, And this kind of ties into something that had said earlier about Uh, just kind of like the baseline set of things that you need to take care of to put a platform together and deploy it to the audience. And then there is this whole layer of experience that's on top of it that we need to uh, focus on as well to make it a truly consumer-facing platform that Yieldstreet is. So uh, what we wanted to do and what most of these kind of platforms would kind of focus on is actually that. that's That's their core product. We want to focus on that core product. But to get all of that Infrastructure and plumbing together. If we decide to build all of that and and the experience on top of it, your your kind of time to market from like zero to MVP is going to be like seven or eight months. So, and then we add to that the fact that we live in this regulated space. There's all, a whole bunch of other things that come along with that too. So in Yield Street, we have obviously the the partnership we have at Synapse that lets us uh, that let us offload the the plumbing of the of the financial infrastructure to a provider that can handle that for us. There is a set of compliance partners that we need to work with because we work, we are an RIA, we work in a regulated industry that comes with its own set of requirements that we obviously don't want to kind of double down and build ourselves because that's not a core business, nor is it a core competency. And and finally, uh, at the end of the day, we are an investment platform, but these are investments that we, um, at its core, it's really a marketplace. So we are connecting uh, entities that are looking to raise capital with investors who are looking for yield. So, <clears throat> so if we, although the the technology platform itself is focused on the investor side of things, there is this whole other side, the supply side, if you will, where we work with partners, uh, origination partners who are looking to raise capital in, in this kind of very tech forward, uh, highly efficient, scalable way through the platform. We work with those as uh, those partners as well who are. Who, who are looking for that easy capital or easy ease of uh, raising capital and that's just kind of a sprinkling of things it's, it's that real mix of like enabling you to focus
1: on your customer problem that you're solving is really powerful this the time to market i think is really really powerful um i'm curious Sanke, what else do you see other than like the focus and the time to market what makes a good partnership why would you why would you look to 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 those for those approaches
2: yeah. <clears throat> so essentially what any fintech company is trying to do, and if we even put the bank aside for a second, just focus on a fintech company, they're trying to bring the best product they can for their customers. If they can delight their customers, then the customers are going to stick around. They're going to find value in the product and offering. Uh, and what we found in kind of like the fintech industry in general is everybody's starting with a product, but they're going deep and they're adding more features. Uh, and now they're uh, uh now their shipping velocity is even increasing. Folks are adding features much faster. Um, here's what happens if you don't end up partnering. You also, one piece is time to market. The second piece is uh, uh, management, maintenance and upkeep, right? So you have your engineering resources getting dedicated towards kind of like managing and upkeeping some of the back office systems that you really just need up, up to date all the time, make sure the plumbing's just working. And that starts getting in the way of your product velocity, your shipping velocity, and really focusing on the customer experience. So, like essentially, what Synapse is able to help with, or anyone who's trying to provide a a software solution uh, to fintechs and banks together is able to help with is offload some of this plumbing upfront, but also the ongoing stuff, right? So. Any, any updates that you might have to make because there are some minor protocol updates that have been made, um, exception management, uh, uh, small feature additions, things like that. And all these things start compounding over time and you can just ship much faster than you've been able to previously. So that ends up being like a big part of this too. And, and like,
3: I think just to kind of interject, there's, a, there's an extra element where often we are able to outsource all of the compliance requirements as well. Stripe's a good example of this, uh, Stripe.js in particular, where, you know, if i Provide the ability for people to swipe a card. I don't have to be PCI compliant if I just use Stripe JS to do the credit card capture. And now I've, I've exported my entire PCI compliance requirement to a uh, to a partner, which is a which is a tremendous time and effort saving uh, uh, endeavor as
1: well. I think that compliance thing is really, really key. So there's there's almost the three elements of, of sort of focus, time to market and compliance. But those elements are not just when you're trying to build the product, but they're also, to Sanket's point, the ongoing maintenance of, of running that thing as well, the operational overhead that kind of comes with that. So changing gears a little bit. Um, so I thought that was a great description of the fintech angle on it. Rasheem, from your perspective, why might a bank want to get into that kind of partnership? And what is it that do you think are the, the core benefits to a partnership for them?
3: Yeah,
0: I think it's sort of what, what was just touched on, which is that ultimately, for those that are startups, or maybe now scale ups is probably a better way of describing a lot of the, the companies partnering banks is they're really able to own a niche, and they are obsessed by a particular problem or product or offering. And when you're a really large company, you, you can't always be obsessed by absolutely everything and, and kind of perfecting absolutely every single feature or product. So, for example, Flux is we're obsessed with digital receipts. You know, we know a lot about receipt data. We know a lot about its uses and advantages and how it can be leveraged. Um, but that's not, you know, everyone's job in a bank all day long. So, you know, there are there are obvious benefits with partnering sometimes with experts in a particular vertical space for a bank to to kind of use some of that that knowledge and that that leverage that. Um, and so I think for banks, you know, this is a this is a shift towards partnerships where, uh, yeah, sometimes it is better to partner than to build yourself because there are lots of different kind of cost elements to that and maintenance. But I think sometimes you're actually, you know, you're, you're kind of learning something and you're gaining that insight and new knowledge um, of a startup that may have become obsessed with a problem that, that you haven't quite solved. And I think that's, that's the main kind of draw.
1: That specialism, I think, is really powerful, isn't it? Is that, like, yeah, there's somebody obsessed about this minute detail of customer onboarding in a way that if you have to do it all yourself it it, uh, it reminds me of the early days of the ford motor company the ford motor company used to own the rubber plants it used to own the steel plants it used to own all of the all of the manufacturing all the way down its supply chain it was fully integrated and over the years they've actually become much more reliant on different specialists much more distributors and so on and it's interesting tesla's kind of going the other way but at the same time there's only one tesla and then there's everybody else right there's uh, there's very few that can they can kind of do that Uh, And the whole uh, kind of real revolution of of cloud-based software has been making things much more modular, making things much smaller, um, and really being able to build on top of Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud Platform and BigQuery and all of these things that are out there that are done by the best in the world, and you just pick it up and use it. It reminds me of um, trying to get a fintech proposition live do you want to build your own email client to send the email or do you want to just pick up an email client and then kind of there's a bunch of non-differentiated stuff there i i, I kind of guess uh, just taking the the flip side of this thing kid, i'm interested in your views as to what, why do partnerships sometimes go wrong like what are the, what are the watch apps when you're a fintech or you're, you're trying to build some partnerships what are the watch apps?
2: Yeah I think we kind of discussed that in our last podcast as well like from my experience what I've found is and this is what like I try to caution the team with usually as well um, as a partner starts getting in the like as the partner starts getting in the way versus enabling that's when partnerships go wrong right? Like, so if you, if you get in the way, uh, all, like, everything's being triggered by product experience at the end of the day for customers. So if you really get in the way of building the best product that, that, the, that the company has the vision for, the, fin, the FinTech company has the vision for, because the taste comes from them, right? So if you get in the way of that product permutation generally, then partnerships go wrong. And that's where you kind of want to move away from the partner and find another one. Um, that's probably the biggest one, like other small pieces matter, but like the biggest one ends up being, are you are you essentially an accelerant or are you getting in the way? And as soon as you start getting in the way, you're out. I think that accelerant point is really key. And, Richie, it reminds me of what you were saying there about
1: the, the beautiful thing about what Stripe did is it abstracted the pain of compliance originally, way back in 2009, the nine lines of code. And it said, like, you can accept payments, nine lines of code. You don't have to worry about that. So they used they used an API. Do you Is that something that you're looking for? Um, and let's just unpack APIs for the, for the listener that, that might not be as familiar with them and why they're so important and why they're so powerful.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, ultimately at, at some point if I can if I can keep deconstructing and keep breaking down what we do into its like little atomic components and, and and make that call every time like, okay, well, is this core to what we do or can I outsource that? Whether it is difficult to build, it adds a compliance or, uh, layer, uh, compliance overhead to that. Um, and if I can find a way, and obviously there is a balance to be struck because if you have too many partnerships you're expanding the so called like you know, an fa- effectively the attack surface of your platform you ultimately you're as safe as your most secure part, uh, integration right so so but there are uh there is a there is a still a good bit of uh space left in uh in the, in that deconstruction where if we can actually break down further other parts of our of of what we do and what we build into these little areas of complexity or, or kind of laterality if that's a word to what we do but we something we need but we don't need to reinvent or build ourselves and we can safely outsource to some partner we'll always be looking for those uh, whether it's and it's i can't even mentioned some of those like the kyc aml but so there are providers that do just that you know that, but synapse you get that all in a single platform but but there are several um, uh, players that just do that, nothing more, which is also requirem- a regulatory requirement similar to the PCI thing with Stripe. So this is going to keep going on, happening until it gets to a point where it's too fragmented. And then at, that's, at that point, that would be a good point to slightly stuff the the ben thompson
1: the world is a endless cycle of um bundling and unbundling um but but actually the the specialists are great if but if you have a platform that you can access those specialists through then think life hopefully gets a little bit easier
2: yeah i think to like point like it's extremely difficult um to build one platform that bakes all of this in but like If you could crack that code, it's like a very, very valuable company, (laughs) but it's extremely hard to kind of like put all of this in one packet and then permute through that at the same time. Um, And I would go as far as to saying Yes, most of the customers are looking to buy APIs, but they're looking to buy APIs because that's the only way they have experienced products uh, that don't get in the way. Uh, If you can essentially pull off some white-labeled widgets for them as well, and Plaid's link is a good example of this, uh, there's a lot of appetite, and so is Stripe.js, right? Like, there's a lot of appetite to just have these components be like embedded and pluggable as much as possible. The only issue is it's hard to do widgets well for long life cycle features, right? So account opening is an example of this. To be able to manage account opening for all customers, it's very hard to make a UI that would make everybody happy. Um, so that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why APIs uh, still kind of dominate. But if you would just look at the buyer pattern, there's a lot of appetite with, with fintech companies to just get a modular UI uh, for a lot of the aspects of their features because they want to be able to ship a quality product fast. That's more to the goal more than anything else.
1: It's almost like giving them the tools to be able to make their own user journeys and user flows. and if as those user journeys flows change over time, they're in complete control of that, but the the underlying sort of data transfer and all of the logic that sits with that is still is still captured by the API and um, you've kind of worked with some big banks, you've worked with some small banks. How do they consume what Flux does? How do they get that into their world? It, it, have you thought about how far you go from a technology standpoint? Is it is it just to the API? Can you go beyond that?
0: Yeah, so basically how it works for a bank to work with Flux is um, is we do everything by API. So we're an API-led company. So um It's not too far different to what you see on the open banking API spec, actually, what we require from a bank when we're looking at the transaction data. They send that through to us. And then what we're really doing is we're providing receipt data back in JSON format, again, by API, for them to display, basically, to customers. Um, And I think that, that gives the bank a degree of flexibility. But it's something that we sort of touched on. where you know, for, for kind of neo banks and, and kind of more digital players, they're sort of set up in that world with that idea in mind that they'll do lots of partnerships and they'll they'll be API led and they have that stuff ready to go. Um, for some of the incumbent players. Just actually finding where certain data lives can be a real challenge because we have kind of you know legacy systems, databases that you wouldn't believe and and actually that that part is actually a real challenge for them. Um, but yes, the actual kind of API itself is is a fairly simple setup um, and and we, we kind of we do it that way because it basically gives our partners as well the flexibility. Um, this is the best way to do things, um, but there are there are various challenges. Unfortunately, just if um, if you're unsure of where that data maybe sits, if you're a large bank, um, that that can be one thing that comes up.
2: Well, and I think the other interesting thing about APIs is, and I think like we've discussed this a whole lot at Synapse as well, uh, APIs are a good way to be able to MVP something. They're one of the worst ways to be able to access large data. Um, so, yeah, like you're like shipping a lot of data, uh, to Flux or Synapse, and then, uh, we're kind of like making most of the decisions and then giving you a response. But there comes a time when you just want to be able to kind of like analyze and access a lot of this data in bulk, and then APIs end up being like the worst form of protocol to be able to do this. So like over time, I think all the API providers would have to build some kind of like a data lake product. Um, that essentially makes it very easy for, again, like not startups, but companies that are scaling very rapidly to be able to access a lot of this data much more easily than they're able to today.
1: Yeah, I think that data access point is really, really key. There's always trade offs to, to whatever technology that, that you're working with. But Richie, I'd love to know from your experience, what was it about the technologies you've used that have been able to help you succeed, but also uh, what are the challenges you've experienced in the process? Well,
3: there's been a good range of those. So, I mean, APIs, you know, we've been talking about, at least in today's day and age, they are the predominant way to connect two systems together and, and they solve the majority of problems. Uh, someday, I'm hoping that you know we'll we'll actually have a proper streaming API. From like to speak to some Kate's uh, point about large data sets, like the only efficient way to capture that is like a, like a kinesis stream of data that's just flowing from an external data source into your systems, which would be a nice thing to have with external providers. But we have the gamut of it. Like we have some integrations that uh, we are still generating space delimited flat files that we are posting to an s3 bucket that is uploaded to an sftp server like some parts of our platform is still stuck in that I mean, not so much our platform as the partner that we're integrating with so we've had the range of you know struggles and smoothness of, of integrations across a variety of <laughs> uh data pipes or pi- types of data pipes and some some have been like We actually have, we will look at the calendar and say, are we actually in 2021? We are actually doing this right now. It's madness, Um, isn't it, that um, SFTP, Simple File Transfer Protocol, if it sounds
1: familiar, it's right up there with HTTP. They were invented more or less around the same time. And actually, for the majority of large financial institutions, that is the format you use or that is the the transmission mechanism you use to get data in and out. And then you do so in in a flat file, as you say, which is a glorified text document. So you go create a text file or a notepad file. And, and and it has some standards around how it's formatted,
3: but it's it's kind of like that, oh, yeah, and, and a... that is that's the spectrum is pretty wide. Well, I'm glad that we're we're at a point where you know, I mean, in my mind, that's like two notches over how Reuters started back in the late 1800s, where it literally had carrier pigeons ferrying mm-hmm. stock quotes like the ticker tape from point to point. I'm like, okay, well, that's the files are not too far from that.
1: I mean, you can see why. Companies like move.io come along and and try and just deal with the difficulty dealing with those those edge and end points. Like those the dealing with those files can be could be extreme overhead. I mean, Sankey, you must have bumped into a few few things like that on your ways as well.
2: I I um, I'm probably gonna be the only one who's gonna say this in this room or any. Uh, I I love SFTP. Wow. Um, It's 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 super easy. It's like the easiest way to integrate. Um, Obviously, I think uh, you cannot do large data streams with it, but for the purposes it's been used for, which is like kind of like sending payment files and things like that, it's probably like a much more efficient protocol uh, versus like in our case, sending at this point hundreds of thousands of transactions a day. if not more, just with ACH on an API call would just be horrible. Like, it would just be a horrible thing all day just sending that. Um, And then, like, SFTPs are not super hard. Like, uh, you pretty much just have to build out um, a scheduler that just, like, recursively scrapes an SFTP portal and then, like, parsers that parse them into JSON and then everything else is modern after that.
3: So. It's not hard at all. It, you don't feel like challenged doing it. You just feel kind of dirty doing that these days.
1: <laughs> Roshin, you must have come across stuff like this on your travels. And What are some of the other more esoteric technical issues that you've come across on your ways and, and sort of things around tech as well?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was like, thinking about this earlier and it's like it can be everything from the communication channel that you use that can make a big difference to the project. I know it's so silly, but for example, with digital banks, we'll jump on Slack. Our engineers will be catching up with day. With a large bank, you've got to jump on a WebEx. Like I know it's so silly, but it's like just even down to that can make a big difference with just how kind of things can move. And then, of course, it's for us is always, uh, you know, what we just touched on, which is like, where does this data sit and how easy can it be surfaced to us? Um, that that's the kind of thing that we're, that we're looking for in real time is, is kind of getting the transaction feed. And um, and for some banks, that is just a much harder situation than others. Um, I think most banks now have really great digital teams where, you know, the, the kind of the UX, the front-end work is not is not a super big challenge. Um, so it's more anything that touches those kind of those systems um, internally where there's just so much complexity, unfortunately.
1: Um, Rishi, I'm interested in your views. How much do you think that... Um technology is the in- impediment uh, in some of the partners and how much is it compliance or other stuff? Like, where do you
3: see the, the, the biggest impediments are? Speaking about the Build Street world, it, it's kind of almost balanced depending on what part of the platform that particular integration is powering. Um, technology has not been... Uh, like <clears throat> to give you an example, like one of one of the many um, products or like specifically one of the many kind of investment vehicles that you can use to invest in your streets products is an IRA. Right. So now that uh, which I guess it's more of a, an American concept it's an individual retirement account. Uh, so you can you can deploy your retirement dollars into these kinds of investments for certain kinds of investment products as well as certain kinds of retirement account products. Now that is Traditionally, that's an industry that's uh, really stuck in this really kind of anachronistic world and <clears throat> with paper documents and faxing and web signatures and stuff like that. So now that's a, that's one of those uh, should be simple but really uh, for no reason or for no good reason unwieldy technical integration. Uh, there are other parts where the tech part is really, really straightforward. It's a simple API. We can do this Uh but we have to go through seven layers of review with our, you know, our compliance staff. It's like, hey, can we do this? Can we pull it from here? Can we say? Can we use this word? In fact, I have this whole script in front of me of from our compliance group for this podcast, telling me what to not say, what words to not use, what superlatives to not deploy. So I, I think it's kind of a mix, 60-40 uh, mix, I would say, for for the different uh, things that we built in Eel Street. Uh, Actually, it's more so. Like it's it's more compliance really than 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 tech, uh, than than kind of a heavy lift on tech. Uh, like I said, the only tricky one was was the was the old school flat uh, file approach, which again was not complex. It's just you know, just so achy. much fun. <laughs> so much fun.
1: Uh, Senge, would you agree with that? And what some of the compliance pitfalls you've you've sort of seen people bump into when they're trying to partner?
2: Um, I think. One of the biggest things today that's been a hot topic is data storage retention uh, and streaming, right? What kind of data should you have access to? Uh, How do you store that data? How long do you retain that data? And then you have to kind of build out a compliance regime around that for all of your vendors as well. Again, to Hirishi's point, initially he was saying that you are as secure as your least secure partner, which is essentially true, right? Like you're as compliant as your least (laughs) compliant partner too, because um, uh, you have to kind of like build out a vendor management policy. And and, and the biggest piece you end up uh, um, focusing on, especially if you're talking about a consumer-facing fintech, a lot of the consumer regs fall on you, right? So a lot of the consumer regs of how you're marketing your product, uh, uh, did you confuse your customer in your offerings? What words are you using? That, that kind of falls on you. But a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff of data storage, retention, usage of data, confidentiality and privacy, all of that falls on you and your partners. Um, so a lot of the compliance pitfalls are the more vendors you have behind the scenes, the stronger your compliance program needs to be on vendor management and kind of ensuring that everybody's upholding to the standards that have been prescribed to you By either a directly regulated uh, entity uh, or by a partner bank that you're working with. Um, So I think that ends up being like the most important thing these days. Yeah, you didn't realize the hooks that the third party
1: sort of rules have around managing your supplier and if they've got a supplier, do you know who they are and are they retaining data for the right amount of time? Are they, again, Rasheed, this feels like a gauntlet you've been through on the other side a couple of times. How do you do that well and, and how, do you, how do you manage some of those complexities?
0: Yeah, this kind of comes back to that idea of of providing the information up front as much as you can, because you will get the certain questions. So, you know, there will be questions. Why do you need this particular field? You know, what is the data retention look like? you know what are all your kind of different compliance procedures and processes and you know we we very much have taken the view that like do everything up front and um, you know it's crucial for your credibility to, to provide as much of that information as quickly as possible so you know we're proud we're ISO 27001 certified and strictly speaking we didn't need that accreditation but we decided to go through that because we felt it was important to bank partners to believe we took things, these things really seriously we've also published some data principles as well recently on our website so I think just being as transparent as possible throughout the process um is is a key thing um and then i think that ultimately you know there will be steps you do have to go through that that's very normal and those and that's correct you know for any kind of large company looking to work with a provider Um, but there's a lot you can do i think in the background to make that process smooth
1: yeah i like that point that because you're all dealing directly with the banks, you've had to do a lot of that sort of stuff. But uh, um, but even Rishi, who's working with Synapse and other people that, that are sort of uh, intermediaries still is on the hook for some of this stuff. You, you've still got your, your own compliance stuff that you've got to deal with as well.
3: Yeah. And and when we go do our audits, whether it's a SOC 2 audit or, uh, as she mentioned, like the, the ISO 27,000, which we hope to get to as well, that... It's not limited to us, right? We have to kind of bring in everyone uh, that we work with into the fold, whether it's from a data privacy standpoint or uh, you know, uh, other uh, you know, uh, requirements, regulatory or compliance that, that go beyond us to anyone who holds any kind of proprietary sensitive company confidential, most importantly user confidential data. Uh, They all become a part of that effort, that whole process of getting to that level of uh, certification and getting past the audit because we can't do it without that, without, you know, involving everyone into it. It's such an important point. Very few people get into partnerships
1: thinking, oh, how will we manage the audits? But it's one of those things that can really be a pitfall. And it's not yeah. something an entrepreneur or a builder or an operator when they're starting down something that can, this could be a great feature. This could be a great business that really solves a customer problem. To what you were saying, Rashid, it's not the top of mind thing. You're thinking happy path and what if this succeeds, not how will the audits be. And you've got this kind of trade off of there's all of these specialists out there that could really help make a difference. But the more of them I have, the more overhead I'm going to give myself on when, when it comes to that exact point.
0: Yeah. And that's where you can really help yourself, I think, as a company looking to work with a big company like a bank, because, you know, that credibility showing that you care about these things from up front. You know, I think Flux's first hire beyond the founders was actually someone in compliance, you know, a DP to really kind of look at this stuff initially, because you, you really need that going into those meetings from day one. And um, and I think that, that it does make a difference because, like you say, they, they can work with many different uh, companies, but they will be looking for that reassurance.
1: And Virgin, whilst we're on that as well, um, I want to get your views on how partnerships are evolving. You know, you've probably seen them evolve, I think, a lot of the last few years, but where do you think they're going? Do you think that the banks themselves, the intermediary players, the, the neobanks and the fintechs that are maybe working with banks behind the scenes, are they all maturing? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What, what's, your, what's your prognosis?
0: Uh, I, my personal view is that I think we're moving more towards um, strategic partnerships, deeper, more embedded partnerships. I think that um, like many things, when partnerships kind of first were big the- beginning to arise and there was lots of different fintechs you know there was seems like there was a new partnership announcement almost every day and of course we do have more partnerships happening um you know i think some of that can sometimes be dismissed as, bit as innovation theater whereas i think now there is a, a concentration of focus on like you say, bringing these specialists in if there is a certain area that needs to be fixed or a certain product that can be managed better then, then banks are looking to to find the right partner but that will be a kind of long-term strategic play um, you're seeing more strategic investments as well being made by banks. So ventures teams are kind of growing. Um, and I think that is really where it's going. Um you know Flux is in a great position because uh, once we're working with a bank, you know we're a really cool part of that that banking app. So the feature of digital receipts is something that that someone sees every day. Um and I think that that's kind of where we're moving now with, with partnerships. They're, they're deep, they're embedded, um, and there's something that's more of the long-term view.
1: Mm-hmm. They don't have partnerships for nothing. Uh, Richie, what about yourself? Have you seen um, a,
3: a change in them over the past few years? I and mean, Do you think they're going to be changing going forward? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> I actually do think they've been evolving. And, and <clears throat> that's why I, I kind of like draw almost draw a distinction between a, integration, a regular just third-party integration and an actual partnership. They're in many ways for us, and the ones that have been very... Uh, beneficial and mutually beneficial are actual partnerships, like very much like actual human relationships. They work for the same reasons human relationships work and they don't work for the same reason as well. Like, you know, if you're, if it's uh, a partner that you're working with, that's like, that's not your core business, but essential to your core business. And we are roughly the same age and we kind of like almost kind of grow up together right you know our product roadmaps are aligned and we are kind of like constantly there's a constant flow of information data that's uh, going back and forth beyond the usual just like hey this is support, this isn't working this API is down or this is, uh, someone needs to look at a support ticket that kind of stuff but actual like hey let's 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 share our product roadmaps and see. You know, this is these are the things that we want to do. And you now, tell tell us what you have on your roadmap. And let's see if we can tweak each other's roadmaps even to to kind of like line up a little better. And, um, <clears throat> and early adopters proved to be really good, like QA people for uh, for platforms as well. Like you know, hey, yeah. I think you need to change your computation here and and things like that. So that is a healthy model. It takes time to build and nurture and kind of, and as I completely agree with, uh, with like they they need to be long-term strategic partnerships where you're kind of, you're not just like, I I won't say the same thing about our partnership with Twilio as much as I love the company and I know the founders, but we're not sharing roadmaps you know they're they're doing their own thing and we just kind of keep an eye out of what they're what they're doing and hey maybe we can use that at some point down the road which it's kind of it's a materially different kind of relationship than what we have for instance again with synapse
1: there's difference between utility and partnership and i yeah, think neither exactly. of those things are bad but there is a difference between them so Thank you. and, and last word for you where are partnerships headed
2: Yeah, I think uh, partnerships are by and large going to fall into three buckets, right? So you're going to have your productivity tools. So you're going to have partnerships with things like uh, maybe they're more so kind of like you're using them as vendors, right? So Zendesk, case management systems, if you're doing SAR, UAR reporting, Uh, Slack I would put in that bucket, Twilio I would put in that bucket. Um, uh, Then you will have your enablement and intelligence layer. So banking as a service, lending as a service, uh, uh, compliance risk. I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation there because by and large there's one infrastructure that's needed there, not 15, which is what we have right now. And then the final piece is delight, right? So uh, improving your customer's experience. So flux falls in that bucket. I think Plaid falls in that bucket. Uh, Puzzle, which is the payroll turnkey platform falls in that bucket. Um, So I think we'll see some consolidation happening on each one of those dimensions, right? So you're going to see some consolidation happening in enablement intelligence. Um, You're going to see some consolidation happening in Delight. For instance, you saw uh, Plaid recently announced their own um, payroll conversion product um, and so on and so forth. So I think you're going to see some of that. And on productivity, it's the same thing. Folks, different people are doing case management. Different people are doing uh, kind of some of your fraud insights and things like that. And I think some of that stuff is going to consolidate as well. But uh, if you look over the next five years, I think you're by and large going to see these three big bubbles form. And by and large, providers are going to fall under them more than anything else.
1: Uh, it's a really helpful mental model. It's, it's kind of that utility. It's that um, enablement intelligence layer, and it's the delight layer. I think those three are, are super helpful places to, to finish it. Um, and that finishes this episode. So next week, we'll be closing out the series looking at the future of banking, taking all the learnings from the series to date and looking ahead. Um, as Bill Gates once said, banking is necessary. Banks are not. Um, and we're going to dig into that and see if the panel agrees. Uh, we hope you can join us for that discussion. Uh, thank you so much to our guests for joining us this week. Uh, where can people find out more about you, Rasheen?
0: Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Rasheen Levine, or do check out Flux at triflux.com.
3: Brilliant. And Rishi? Oh, <clears throat> me, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Um, just uh, LinkedIn, Rishi-Dixit. And also do check out your3.com. Thank you so much. and you.
2: Yeah, again, um, you can learn more about Synapse at synapsefi.com. Same on LinkedIn or Twitter, if you want. Or you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter with Syncat, just my first name. Also, long live flat files. So, banks might (laughs) not be needed. Flat files will always (laughs)
1: be. This feels like the conversation for offline. It 100% does. If, if, If you could be mobbing somebody towards the end of a podcast like rishi's eyes and Rashid's eyes just did that to sank it. so uh you can find me at sy taylor on twitter you can find me on linkedin and you can find 11fs at 11fs.com um, remember to subscribe to get all the latest episodes from under the hood as soon as they're released um tell your friends about it this is the uh this is the up-and-coming fintech podcast that you they need to pass along uh, so you'll get to cool Stempel, if you uh, get them to pass along too find out much much more next week and we will be back very very soon bye for now